Hello and welcome back to the Cyber Made Human podcast, episode three. I'm your host, Alice Violet. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have had a few technical issues in episode one and two because it turns out going from behind the scenes to also running everything and hosting the show is a lot to navigate. So we've got some behind the scenes help today from actually my mum. So hopefully this will all go smoothly. Do make sure to subscribe because we've got some amazing content and really interesting guests coming up for the rest of the year. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Bolas. Hello, Adam from Digital Wolf and a newly launched second company. Yeah, yeah, in Cinto. Yeah, yeah. No, it's exciting stuff. Um, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So we've known each other, what, now for about a year? It's been about a year. Yeah, yeah. Bless you. But it's it's went quick. It's gone quick. Really quick. Yes. And lots has changed, actually, over that year for both of us, I would say. Yeah, I was a lot more immature when I met you. You were. Um, a lot of growth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it's been it's been a lot of learning and a lot of a lot of fun times as well. Yes. So it's good. So you work with uh, child safety primarily online. So you work with schools and also parents, but also with children themselves. And we'll get into exactly what your business does a bit later on. But first of all, I just wanted to touch on some legislation that's changed, which is holding social media platforms accountable for the content that is on there. That's quite a big change, isn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it should have happened a lot sooner. Right. Um, so the, 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 originally there was the online harms white paper that came out in around 2018, 2019 time. And that was a very, very ambitious. What was it called? Harms white paper? The online harms oh, white right, paper. Okay. It was really ambitious. They were They were looking to go so far as to prosecute directors personally of these sorts of companies if they didn't actually act on online harm. Um, but there was a lot of scope that needs to be defined and everything and after you know covid happened and then um you know ukraine um kicking off as well and and now unfortunately we're seeing scenes out of out of the middle east as well um there's there's been so much going on that it's it's been kind of tucked to the back a little bit right and then they've had to navigate the whole technological side with the social side to understand how this is really going to work yeah um and it's kind of been watered down now unfortunately but it's still got some strength to it in terms of identifying, classifying, and actually removing harmful content. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see what's what's deemed as, as harmful. Yeah, because I think when it comes to holding the platforms themselves accountable, for example, like TikTok is a big one that was mentioned in this uh, change. How does that actually work? Because is it a case of they, they should be flagging the content, they should be having a process in place that if a child sees it or a parent sees it and reports it, that it's removed within a certain amount of time. And if not, then the individual can sue the platform. Like, what is this actually going to look like in real terms, do you think? It's interesting when you mentioned about suing, because I think it's when Gary Lineker was talking about, um, like, uh, like the, the, the boats coming across the channel. Um, he then went to... I think some people were saying, like, making false accusations about the guy. So suing's an interesting one. I don't know a whole amount about the individual suing the platform side of things. Um, I'm sure that's in there somewhere, so you're more than happy to take a look. Maybe it's like, if they don't do it, then they get fined from the governments? Yeah, so so platforms have to... So they'll be regulated by Ofcom. I see. Um, and they'll have to report their findings to Ofcom. So they'll need to be able to um, substantiate reports that... that you know, show what is harmful, like the rates of harm, um, classifying it, and then also show that they've taken action to remove those those types of content that are causing harm. If they don't, then they'll be fined and, and they'll have damages come their way from, from the UK government. Um, and I know the EU and the US are, are both looking at similar legislation. They're, they're 
quite different in terms of their approach and, and what they're looking at in particular. So on the subject of TikTok, I know that it's had a lot of heat and a lot of kind of criticism for the amount of data that it hoovers up of users. It surprises me because with the kind of Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook, which is now meta, and all these kind of stories that have happened historically, why is the focus now on TikTok being worse than the other platforms? Well, we've got flaring tensions between the West and the East in terms of, you know, uh, like geopolitics and economics and, and technology and, and who's going to be dominant in that area. Um, it's, it's really interesting stuff. But um, I mean, you know, X, formerly Twitter, got a lot of flack when it, you know, was purchased by Elon Musk and it decided to go and you know, do its thing where it changed how it works. And, and that's in the same kind of limelight as, as TikTok now, which is interesting because it's it's it, you've got a lot of different perspectives and players you know, around, around the game. Um, but I remember when I was growing up, I hated Facebook just as much as I, I am not a fan of, of the way TikTok operates with its data. Um, so it, it depends on your perspective and who's telling you what and why. And, and, you know, it's for me, I second guess everything. So whenever someone tells me something, or I read something on the news, I'm like straight away, okay, let's go Google this. Let's have a look and see what are other people saying? Cause then you get the whole picture. Um, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting one. And I guess maybe it's because TikTok was kind of historically known as a children's platform. Now it's much more mainstream. But when it was first launched, it was mostly children that were using it, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember seeing it in my mum's kitchen um, down in Cornwall. I saw an advert for the app for the first time and it was young girls dancing. And I was like, what the hell is this? Mm. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, there's no interest from me like, mm. to, to download this in the slightest. Um, but then it evolved into into TikTok because it was called something else. Oh, was there. it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was. I think the company was absorbed by a bigger company, which is now ByteDance, that owns TikTok. But why is there so much more focus on TikTok as a platform that's hoovering up data and that being a concern versus all these other platforms that have always done that? So it's a multitude of factors in terms of. I'd, I'd say the two primary factors in this is um, the economic factor and the data factor. So. Um, you know, if, if I ran TikTok, I could paint a picture of, of everybody that uses it because the, the data collection is so precise and it's so intricate. Um, mm. And it's it's bloody well impressive how they do it. Um, but they take, you know, not just like, you know, how long you sit looking at a reel or how many times you look at the reel, but then like how quickly are you using your keystrokes in and outside of the app? Like how quickly do you type? What are you typing? And so it's also tracking your data beyond using TikTok. So in the terms and conditions, perhaps that's what people are worried about is that it's actually that when you're not even using TikTok, it's tracking your banking data, your search history, your location. I mean, um, yeah, they, they all kind of do it. But as I said before, it depends on the, the, the side of the line you're on. Um, right. So, you know, if you live in Britain, it's very different to living in China. There's a very different culture. It's a very different society. It's also a very different theology and ideology. Do they even have TikTok in China? Yeah, of course they do. They don't have Facebook or Twitter. No, because or... it's Western. Right. But it's it's TikTok's very educational over that. It's like if you go on TikTok, you'd be fed like Pythagoras theorem and, and like okay. and like how to build a model rocket and all that kind of stuff. Over here, you get fed like dance videos and, and absolute rubbish. But doesn't that depend on your algorithm? It does, but predominantly in China, it's it's much more educational. Which is, which is great. It's a great endeavor to educate your own people into succeeding and being the best they can be. I, I love that. But when it comes to using it as a tool to kind of keep other potential competitors in the geopolitical realm less informed, mm. should I say. Um, oh, I see. It's a really good tool. It's like a distraction tool. Yeah, and also like, like, but not just from a geopolitical level, like from an economic level, you've got 
like you know, TikTok's a massive moneymaker. Besides from collecting and selling data, they've got a shop inside that thing. Like, and you've got young people that go on there and produce, you know, they become influencers and what have you, or they're from business. And then they're, um, you know, producing their own products and selling them through TikTok, which brings in more money, which then goes directly to suppliers that are based in China. So it's just a massive moneymaker, which again, is really, really clever. Mm. Um, but th- those two standpoints are probably some of the biggest deals. But the concern from the Western point in terms of the political perspective and the social perspective as well is that, you know, China's becoming a very strong competitor. You know, they've got more ships in their Navy than the United States does now. Their, you know, their, their economy is predicted to overtake the United States within this decade. Uh, when you have a competitor that can hoover up the data of all of your people, including like internet history and all that kind of jazz, it becomes a little bit concerning. I remember when I worked at Naked Security and we covered a story about FaceApp, I think it was, which is just a photo editing app where you can make yourself look more fantastic. I have ever been guilty of using it. And um, it basically, the terms and conditions said that you gave uh, the app irrevocable rights to your images to use anywhere they want for any company that they then merge into, get bought by. So if you were sitting on the sofa, say, on a Saturday afternoon thinking, oh, I wonder how I'd look with pink hair or whatever and taking ugly selfies, those pictures are now in this database. So Digital Wolf recently did a blog on T's and C's. Okay. And it, and we rated the complexity and how long it would take an adult to look through the different T's and C's. And I think one of the, I can't remember if they were the worst or the best, so check it out. Um, OnlyFans, I think it was either like 45 minutes or it was four minutes. It was more than two. There was extremes between different apps and how long it would take you to read through them. But yeah, with FaceApp, it's interesting. It, I think it was FaceApp because there were concerns around like it being a Russian app and stuff like that as well. I remember the rumors. So I just checked and it was FaceApp and that was back in 2019, but it was saying that basically you grant them complete irrevocable access to your images that you take or alter. And also I wonder whether a lot of that data, some of the um, reason that companies like that might be taking it is so that they can actually use that to feed their AI. You obviously need loads of pictures of faces to be able to build AI. So that would be a way of accumulating loads of data. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, because it's constantly relearning, right? It's, it's like, it's like, it's like having a puppy and, and you train it to play fetch and then you have a machine throw the ball for you and, and pick it up from the puppy. So you just kind of automate it and it keeps going. And eventually that puppy is going to be like Olympic level fetch, you know, champion. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I mean, so with us, like we collect data in terms of our AI um, to constantly learn as it goes, because with language, it's complicated because it's people and people change and cultures change and societies change. Um so it has to keep learning as it goes. In terms of like, because we touched on FaceApp. Yeah. And like in terms of data collection, like you know, when GPT came out, everyone was like, oh my God, this is going to save me so much time. It's great. I'm going to run all my confidential information through this thing um, so it can write me stuff quickly. Um, but every single, it's not the input that they own, it's the output they own because they built it for you. So it's like, um, you know, if I go to you and I'm like, oh, Alice, can you make me this amazing podcast? Because I know you're really good at it. Thank you. Obviously. Until I pay you, or if there's a contract in place that says, you know, like, once I pay you, I have the IP, you own it because you produced it, right? It's the same with them. They've produced it, so they own it. They're not going to, like, come after you and sue you if you put it on your website, but they can use it to then retrain their model to make it better. That's interesting, though, because, like, with the Adobe Creative Cloud, for example, like this podcast, I've recorded it on here. I'm using their software to record it, but I'm going to edit it, and I own that intellectual property. That is my podcast. Or if, for example, I took a photo and I edit it in Photoshop, that is still mine. So why is that not the case with GPT? 
because that's their individual terms of service. Right. So, so like with with Adobe, uh, I'm presuming it's different. I've never used the software, and I remember the T's and C. So I really I, never I, use Adobe. Well, I use XD, um, okay. which is apparently lame because Figma's the the cool kid in town. Um, but uh, I I don't really use Adobe, so I, I don't okay, know fine. to be honest. Fine. Yeah, sorry to break your heart. But you Bard was really interesting. Google's Bard. What's Google's Bard then? I don't know that. It's their GPT. Oh, right. So what we have now today in terms of Bard was, according to according to insiders and whistleblowers, it was built two years ago. Mm-hmm. It was ready to go on the market. But there was concerns around its safety, so they didn't do it. Um, but then GPT came out, and Google, obviously, is the search engine giant of the world, was like, we kind of need to do this now because we've been forced to, because our competitors opened up something that's absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. Mm. So they released it. And in terms of like quality assurance, um, I think it was last week or the week before, I think it was the week before, there was some tweets came out next that showed that people's conversations with Bard were being shared. So with GPT, you can you know share a conversation to a colleague or a friend or something. You can be like, okay, this is what I've had. This is really useful. You know, here you go. It will save you a ton of time. Um, but with Bard, when you shared it, Google would automatically index it in the search engine. You know, if you were if you were alone at home and you have a down night and you thought, I'm going to tell Bard to be a little therapist for a second. Right. And I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm having a really tough time with this. You know, what do you recommend so I can feel a little bit better? Or, or you know, how should I approach this so I can be a bit mm-hmm. more mindful about it? Mm-hmm. That conversation would then be indexed on Google. So they fixed that really quickly when everyone found out. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, they fixed it. I mean, something that I want to do a whole episode on, but we can touch on very briefly now, is about um, intellectual property rights with uh, AI. Because something that I think is being completely overlooked, which is very similar to what we've seen with cybersecurity, is that employees don't really think about the implications of what they're doing. They sort of think, oh, that's for someone else to think about. And there hasn't really been a conversation about if I worked in marketing, for example, and I decide that I've got a presentation on Friday, which I haven't prepared for. And I think, oh, God, let me just put it into ChatGPT and ask them to make me a presentation. If I put in like private client data, for example, so these are their financial predictions for the next year. Is that client's private data now in the data set, which is feeding the AI? Probably. And I just feel like this isn't being discussed in kind of what the implication is of what you're feeding into these engines. And I know that some of them are private environments where you'd put your data in there and that's owned by your company and whatever comes out is owned by your company. But they'd cost a lot of money and there'd be a whole induction process to that. Whereas someone privately downloading ChatGPT or using the free version of it isn't necessarily checking with their manager, you know, am I uploading private data to the public sphere, basically? Yeah, basically. Um, well, the thing is, like, the the mainstream conversation's wrong in this sense. You know, you, you go on the news or, or, or on social media, it's like, oh my God, Terminator's just around the corner. is going to kill me because I told it, you know, to get lost put it politely but it should be around the more intricate side of it when you said about ip it's like it's kind of like cybersecurity. it's going to be a really boring topic for employees to discuss not boring for, for for yeah but for like your average social media manager or, or something like that they're not going to be like you know i i hate two-factor authentication personally but it's it's invaluable it's intrinsic to what you do because Without it, you're kind of setting yourself up to be destroyed. So when it comes to like intellectual property, it it depends on the use case and, and the person as well and the business. But if I had an employee that was feeding confidential code that was developed for our AI into GPT, I don't think I'd be super happy. No, but there's not any conversation about that. No. And I think it, obviously the solution is education and people knowing about it. 
But I don't even think employers necessarily know whether this is an issue yet. Well, no, because so when yeah. GPT came out, like there was a lot of it, like I heard it from everyone. Every employer was like, oh, we should use AI. We should use AI in some way. We don't know how. We don't know how it works and we don't know why. Right. But we should use it because it's a yeah. buzzword. Um, it, but the thing is, if like GPT, everyone knows kind of what it is now. But business owners... So for anyone who doesn't yes. know, who's watching this show, can you just explain ChatGPT? Yeah, so it's um, it's it's like the best assistant you could ever have. Like, it's it's essentially like yeah. a, yes. a really good assistant. Not being technical about it, like, you can ask it anything and it, it, it's meant to leverage the best of humanity to find you the most appropriate answer based on what you're wanting. Like, so if it was like, you know, I've got a lettuce and some cheese and a bit of ham in my fridge, but I've got no bread, what can I have? like to eat it will try and find your recipe based on that to something like i need to write a code out for this website can you do it and it's like yeah sure I mean, it will just do it for you in no time so that's that's how it works but yeah. like the but business owners are pricing efficiency and speed and quality output which fair play you should over ip privacy which when it comes to like dealing with you know your secret let's put it in the case of like you know you're building an app your secret little baby that you love to bits that you don't want anyone else to steal from you because you wouldn't just hand it to your mate if he's a brilliant guy but you don't know him that's where it gets a bit lost but this is the thing there's so much potential here like there's so many ways that you can use it for your benefit but there's so many considerations that need to happen as well like i think the problem is that it's using a data set of existing content on google for example to feed the answer that it gives you based on what's in your fridge mm. and if 70 people put in some rubbish poisonous recipe it might actually present that to you because that's data that's in it it doesn't discern what's accurate what's correct what's healthy that's the problem it doesn't have all those things but we need to change yeah, direction yeah. i'm afraid because this isn't the episode on ai um so it'd be really good for our listeners for anyone who's not familiar with you yet to just have a little bit of information about your business yeah so so what i do is i run in Sinto. so it's an ai-based company that's designed to interpret language and harmful content so essentially what it does is um it will take a, you know, a web page or an email or a Slack message or whatever, and it will look at the, the sentence and the meaning behind it. So if you have something like, you're an aubergine emoji, go and knife emoji, arm emoji, it'll interpret that as, you're a penis, go and, you know, hurt yourself. Thanks for that example. It's okay, it's a really clicky one. Um, so, so it's designed to interpret hidden meanings. So it, in comparison to like a keyword filter, where it's like looking for the obvious ones, which I'm not going to say, um... It's it's designed to go a step further to to really understand it because then when it's if you've got a child or a vulnerable person or you know, just an adult in a vulnerable position they're in a tough time, and they see something online that's just the trigger to set them over the edge, and do something silly to hurt themselves, you know, we we can detect that in real time and then prevent the access to it. So so you can prevent access to it on social media apps. Yeah. So like if if TikTok really loved me. And, and came over and said, hey, Adam, we'd love to use Incinta. Oh, I see. So the platforms themselves would platforms have to create themselves. it. Yeah, okay. yeah. So like, so like, you know, it, it, a school could plug it into the network and use it and it, was, it would just go. Um, or a workplace could put a Slack plugin into their, into their workspace and it would just go as well. Okay. And then Digital Worth, which I love. Talk us through that. Yeah. So it's, um, so it's a CIC. Um, which is we don't do sorry 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 sorry, my bad community interest company so it's a hybrid between a charity and a business like 75 percent charity so uh, the majority of the profits have to go back into the community they have to benefit people that are using it um and it has to do good that's the whole premise of it there's a lot more regulation to ensure that companies like that are actually doing what they said they're going to do which is great 
but Digital Dwarf is mainly around education, but it's designed to make it accessible. So instead, if you get in like a A4 piece of paper that says, you know, do and do not do all this stuff, like don't send nudes online, that kind of basic stuff. We go a step further and we're like, okay, should like, we'll approach it in the sense of like, should you send nudes? Like, you know, emoji face like, hmm? Um, and then it'll go into like, well, you know, this is probably why you shouldn't do it, but you need to be comfortable if you are going to do it. Right. And make sure you're removing all the personal indicators. So like, don't take it near a window where you've got your street sign outside because some guy or gal online could pick that picture up and track you down. So it's mm-hmm. making sure you're safe when you do it. Kind of like using a seatbelt where like, if you're going to drive a car, you do it safely. Yes. Okay. Well, that's really good. So you're giving, you're giving people the context rather than just saying, no, don't do something. It's bad. This is why it's bad. If you're going to do it anyway, at least do it safely. Yeah, you know, if you want to do something, you're probably going to go do it. Right. Especially kids. They're not right. going to think of the consequences, but you shouldn't speak to them. Like you shouldn't look down and speak to them. Because when I was a kid, I, I just wanted equal respect. And so with the app, Digital Woof, then, there's two sides to it, isn't there? So schools and parents can use it, and then children can use it as well. Yeah, anyone can use Digital Woof. Um, we've got an academy that gets updated, like, weekly. Like, you know, if there's been a new feature released on Snapchat, like the My AI thing, that a lot of kids actually find creepy because they can't delete it. It's okay, so stuck Okay, there. so what's that? I don't it's know It's meant to be an AI best friend. Mm. Going back to our ChatGPT discussion around sharing stuff. And, and who owns it. Right. If a little girl's having a really tough time, because she's going through a lot when she's growing up, and she, you know, turns around to my AI and goes, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. It's a lot of personal stuff that she wouldn't want to share with anyone, but she feels safe because maybe she's been bullied. And it's on her phone. She just thinks it's Maybe private. she's having a tough time at home. But that's the thing. It's in your phone, isn't it? You think, oh, it's in pocket, it's safe, it's right. fine. Right. It's not. And so what what happens to that data? Well, uh, so my AI is... is it, it, I don't know a huge amount of, but I know it's a language model. It's similar to GPT. So I'm presuming that it's an open AI powered thing. So the, the terms of service around data privacy and all that kind of stuff and, and data use will be very much the same as, as using, you know, the usual GPT. But, you know, when a feature like my AI gets released or, or ghost trails gets updated where people can follow you on the map. Gosh. Yeah, that's a thing on Snapchat. Did you not know that? It's been out for ages. Yeah. Ghost trails. We do a thing in the Snapchat guide where we're like, how to, like ghost trails, what are they and how to turn them off? Because if you've got, like, there was, and, you know, this isn't exactly the nicest subject, but, and you can cut this out if you want, but um, when I was speaking with the Children's Society about a year ago, there was gangs using ghost trails to track children to make sure they were taking the drugs to the right place and Mm. sex and stuff like that as well. Um, They were just making sure that the parcels were delivered because that's how they view it. Um, so we, we teach kids and parents and carers. Yeah, because that's literally how they view it. Um, so we teach them how to turn these things off because even if you're in that situation, it's never too late. It's difficult though, because I guess as a parent, and this is the difficulty with children's safety online, is that it veers quite quickly into very scary territory. And as a parent, you would go into sort of like fight or flight mode where you're not really taking in the information. You think, I just thought my kid using Snapchat. Yep. And that's the problem because then the child is going to use Snapchat, but either with a phone that they don't know you've got or they're going to hide it from you. So really, you need to be aware of all this stuff and use it with the information. But that's really tough because parents must shut down when you start saying stuff like that. Well, no, because we we keep it really simple. Because also with those apps, with um, location trackers, there's pros and cons to them. Because as a parent, you might be thinking, I want a location tracker on my child's phone. Is there like a safe way that they can do it? Yeah, get Life360. Like, so I, I use it. So when I got a motorbike, my parents worried, you know, about me being on a motorbike. Fair enough, rightly so. 
so we got Life360. It's a free app. And then I'm not selling Life360, by the way. It sounds like I am. I'm selling my own stuff. Not sponsored. not sponsored. I wish. You know, and they could they could see me on the map safely. See I, where see. I was. Whereas with Snapchat, you can just turn it off. Like with Apple, I know it's really easy. You can just go ask at not to track, right? And it makes yeah. it nice and easy. Um, but with Android, you can just go into your sentence and turn it off. But it, the guides that we release tell you how to do all that step by step because it's designed to be really simple. Mm. If the guides don't answer any questions that you specifically got, you can just jump onto our safeguarding assistant, ask it and go, you know, it's a language model. And is digital worth free? Uh, no. So it's 99p a month. Okay. Um, that's it. Because we need to be so really, really accessible. Fair. So you can just go like, you know, um, oh, I just read the Snapchat guides and it answered all these great things, but I've got this question. Well, what is it? And then it'll go, okay, here's how you do it. And I break it down really, really Okay, simply. that's good. Yeah. Very nice. So it's designed to just be on the spot when you need it, use it. And I'd love to know your background then. What made you want to get into children's safety online? So I grew up in a I, I grew up in a very techie household, my brothers. Um because they, they they were really into it when I was little and I grew up with it. So I grew up like building computers and breaking them apart. Um the really old ones that you'd like you know, pinch from the school when they're gonna throw it out. And then was doing like some software development when I was a kid. One thing my dad didn't let me have when I was a child was a webcam for good reason you know because back then webcams weren't in everything they were separate you, you oh, have to buy okay, it coming yeah. from a low-income household like no i'm not paying for a webcam who's gonna use it yeah so when i had a stranger approach me on msn i loved msn um i loved msn it's like a six or seven year old asking me you know like trying to get to know me and then you know me being a kid and then they're like oh do you want to jump on webcam take your top off and i was oh. like <laughs> no block um but now kids are like constantly on it. It's a webcam everywhere you go. There's a microphone yeah, yeah, everywhere true. you go. It's always mm. with you. But kids are so like open about it, so confident. Like, you know, you go on TikTok or Instagram Reels and you'll see like these um, Omegle videos where there's kids literally on Omegle. What's that? It's this um, anonymous um, video calling app. So you jump in, oh, no, you click start, gosh. and then you get matched with a stranger. There's a lot, a oh, lot of penises no. on there. <laughs> There's there. a lot, yeah. But yeah, so kids go on that literally just matter of random. So really, that shouldn't be a children's app. That should no. be 18 plus. There, there's no world in which children should be matched with strangers nope. online. And so is it an over 18s app? Um, it should be. I, th- I, do, I think it's uh, 13 I think plus. that's something that as a parent, you could kind of say, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna say that you could be on Snapchat yeah. and message your friends, but perhaps not whatever well, So like called. OnlyFans, um, you don't have to prove your ID to get on. Get OnlyFans. Right. But OnlyFans is a porn site. Yeah. So if you're going on there, you're not going on there and accidentally but seeing Omegle's a naked man. But also basically. Okay, fine. I thought it was something that children were using. It is something that children are using. They go on to chat to random strangers. There's a lot of trends around it. So it became really trendy with TikTok where you'd have like oh, influencers right. pull pranks on strangers on it. And I a lot see. of kids would come on to freak the kids out, get a few laughs, get a few likes and, you know, they build their, their subscription base from there. But like um, kids going on there, like there's... There's clips I've seen on Reels where, like, there's, like, there was one where it was a, his camera or her camera was black, like, you couldn't see anything. There was two girls there, um, and then he just put, because there's a chat box next to the videos, and he just put their longitude, latitude, and their IP address. <gasps> so he, he knew where they were like, within, like, five, ten seconds, because they were like, is it working? And he had them. and it, Or she had them. So there's a real risk there. 
So why is that then? So in a lot of apps, like on Facebook and with WhatsApp and stuff, everything's encrypted. And so if I was, unless I literally shared my location with you, if I sent an image with you, for example, the metadata would be removed. On this app then, just by logging on, you can see my geolocation. Um, yeah, because they just track you down. Because like whenever you, unless you're encrypted in transit, everything you do online will come back to your your trail you leave right, footprints right. wherever you go unless you use a vpn well, yeah virtual or as i'd say paw prints but you leave paw prints wherever you oh, go oh i love good, that right? um so so when you go somewhere and you don't use a vpn or you're not using encrypted like shell like actually encrypted shoes when you're when you're waddling um uh you're trackable people can find out who you are because they'll just look and go back to the source of the steps so something that is interesting is obviously even as adults with this kind of new world that we're living in with AI and things being created using ChatGPT, so like whole articles or images or whatever, it's hard as a an adult to say this is real. So when I'm seeing like a video of Donald Trump, for example, saying something, I'm thinking, I don't know whether you're the same now, everything that I see, I kind of question the authenticity of it. But imagine that as a child, it must be very hard for children to be able to discern what's real and what's fake online. And what advice do you think, like, what's the solution with that? This could be interesting what the perspective is as adults as well, when they grow up. Same as with us when we were kids and, and we had a perception on, on Oh, like yes. And how that will change. How, how is this different to our parents? And, and the same with the kids as well. But they're going to move so much faster. Mm. It's like, like, you know you look at like the last century and how far we've came and then you look at the last 10 years right how fast yes that's went. yeah or even and, the last five yeah the last five has been crazy but then you look at the next hundred just trying to envision it you can't because no, you it's can't. like it's going to be so alien to what no, we're used yeah. to um it's not really a it's it's kind of sad but it's not really a human world so much anymore in terms of the world we live in because it's very tech driven but do you think it'll go digital. the other way though I think it already is starting to. Because at the moment, we live in such a globalised world that when something's happening, like unfortunately with what's happening in Israel right now, we know about it instantly and it feels very personal and it feels very... I'm struggling to watch the news at the moment because it's so hideous. But I wonder whether as things become harder to discern what's real and what's fake, will we trust what's right in front of us more and become less global? Or will there just be more authentications in place so that you know what's real? This is going to be, it's going to be a lot of authentications in place. So, so the way these, the, you know, the way the AI tech kind of produces the deep fake videos is you have a, a detective and um, a fraudster and, and the fraudster tries to create something that's fake and the detective looks at the real kind of images of, of what this is and the real videos. I see. And then goes, nah, it's not good enough. Go back, do it again. So it just constantly goes around and cycle oh, until it's really, really right. good. That's what it's designed to do. Um, but it's interesting because when social media came about, people started to read the news, not from news outlets, like, you know, BBC News and stuff like that. They had other forums to go to. They had, you know, Reddit, Quora, you know, Facebook, all this kind of stuff. And then we had the discussions around misinformation and disinformation coming out of the press and then also creeping in social media. Um, and, mm. you know, now we're coming to a point where you won't be able to determine what's real, real and fake in terms of social media, but then that seeps into the judicial system as well. So like video and photographic evidence and audio evidence has been key to, you know, proving guilt and, and, and innocence in terms of the courtroom. Mm. It has been for a long time. But there was a case in the UK a few years ago where a mother and a father were battling for custody of the child and the mother bought an off-the-shelf AI deepfake product, ran his voice through, the father's voice through it, to make out that the parent was abusing the child 
took it to the court, but the court picked up that it wasn't exactly right. So they just dis- like dismissed her oh evidence. They changed the verdict That's and the outcome. Tough. But you go, I'm not even going to say five, I'm going to say one or two years into the future. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be very, very difficult for people in a courtroom to decide if something's real or not. Mm. So you're going to have to have, like with, with things now, we have a GPT detector where it detects if something's been written by oh, GPT. Oh, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. It just decides if something's really well written. I do really think well it's written. quite obvious, though, to be fair. It decides if something's really well written and then goes, okay, that's probably GPT because it's 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 well written. Like, that's how it works. So, like, if you have a really, really bright kid or a really bright person that writes in that format because it suits them and that's how they perceive the world, everything they've written apparently is GPT generators because you can't tell. There's no metadata tracking the text back to GPT. It's an assumption based on the quality of the but content. that's why I wonder whether the online world will become less compelling because it, like Twitter is full of bot accounts, for example, and loads of social media platforms are. Mm. If um, primarily the content that was on there even posted by humans, like with Hootsuite and stuff, I used to be a social media manager and Hootsuite are advertising services that they offer, which basically you put in your brand guidelines, you put in your services and they automatically generate 100 social media posts. That makes me think I don't really care about what that content is when I know that a human hasn't made it. For me, the kind of the fact that a human's expertise is teaching me that is part of the reason I want to follow that account. Otherwise, I could just Google it. I don't want to be following loads of automated content. So I wonder whether it will have the opposite effect and we won't spend as much time online because it all feels kind of pointless. It's the same. It's kind of the same. I understand where you're coming from. Mm. And in that example, I kind of agree with you in the sense of, you know, anyone can use Microsoft Paint and and paint words going, oh my God, you should buy this thing. It's great. But then someone else found Adobe and they were like, that's going to make it look way better. So I'm going to use that now. It's going to happen again. But it's not about quality necessarily. Like I see what you mean, but it's more about the fact that a human hasn't been involved Mm. in the process. The fact that it's automatic is my issue. Even if it looked like it had been made by a human and it was done in paint, because that was your branding, I'd be disappointed to then learn that a computer had done it and no human had any interaction with it and it was just shoved on, pre-scheduled on Instagram. It just makes me think I'm looking at loads of filler content when the point of social media is human interaction. Hmm. It's interesting because everything you do on social media is driven by a computer Mm. doing its thing to get you to do something. Well, it's driven by algorithms in terms of what it's presenting me with. But Mm. for example, like I love books, for example. So if I'm following authors or poets on Instagram and then I'm being shown more poets or cat videos is also quite a prominent algorithm for me. Dogs are better, but okay. No, you didn't just say that on this I've Made Human podcast. True, there's a really cute puppy That'll be outside, cut out, so, absolutely yeah, cut out. That's rude. Although that's presenting me with content and all of that's automatic, a human being has thought that that cat video was adorable, mm. filmed it, uploaded it, and I've manually interacted with it if all of that bit wasn't real what's the point but then okay so so let's look at it this way um your podcast fabulous podcast your your first kind of fans the people who are following you Mm -hmm. they're people you've met and you've shared this with them personally you've you've built a relationship and you went i'm doing this thing you know love for you to check it out and then they they love it because they've seen it i think it's the same thing so like when i come across an ad on instagram or something and you know, it's got like two two likes on it and, and no comments. I'm just like, well, obviously this is going to be a really bad product because no one's peer reviewed it. No one's went, right. this is amazing. You should check it out. Look at my review on Trustpilot. For me, when I'm a buyer, I look at something and I go straight to the views because I'm going to spend money in my time because time is something you can't get back. I'm going to make sure I'm spending it wisely. So 
I'll look at reviews on Google and stuff like that to make sure it's actually what Well, it's actually, that's it. a good example because with like Trustpilot, for example, they do make you authenticate that you are a customer. Mm. Whereas, so that must be what is going to happen in the future is to be able to discern that it is actually a human. There will be that kind of process in place. There's going to be a lot more human interaction in terms of this stuff to right. verify things. So yeah. like it, it, right now we live in a very like quick, automated, right. pop, pop, pop. You, yeah. know, you get content, come in, ugh, great, Dr- drown my brain. Um, but now we're seeing, you know, from COVID, one of the, the big benefits that came out of COVID was mental health, was people actually turning around to someone else and going, are you okay, mate? Let's go for a drink and have a chat. Mm. And that's like the best cure in the world. When I had a low time, it got me through it. Mm. Um, so when it comes to things like, you know, it's kind of clinical as seeing an ad and buying a product, it's going to be the same premise. Like for most people, they're going to ask someone else and gonna go, have you heard about this? The thing is, though, you're right, like with when you say things move really quickly now, they really do. Like if I'm Googling something, for example, if I was chatting to a friend and I was saying, oh, what's the capital of this country? I would Google it, type it in, and I wouldn't even necessarily click on the first link. I'd just see what came up and say, oh, it's this one. Like I remember doing a quiz with my friend, uh, my sister in Australia, and we were doing that all the way through. We're like, oh, I wonder what the answer is. And we weren't actually verifying that our answer was correct. We had it in a millisecond and then we moved on. And so I do think, you know, we're in this world of convenience. I think it's going to have to be an external validation thing that happens, verification. We're not going to do it because we're lazy. What's well, the same thing with GPT, right? I'm guilty. I use it all the time. Yeah. I'll turn around and go, what's the capital of, um, of you know, uh, Sri Lanka? Capital of Sri Lanka. I ain't got a clue. I'll go on GPT and I'll just go, what's capital of Sri yeah. Lanka? And it'll tell me. And I'm like, great. I take it as gospel. Right. That is the truth. Yeah. Right. In that moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, there you go, mate. If it's something more intrinsic that I need to validate the truth then I'll take a different approach. Yeah, but also like with that example, with us just needing to Google the capital of a country, um, imagine if it's kind of like clickbaity type content, like a huge amount of what we see is scaremongering, it's anger inducing. It's attention It wants a reaction because it wants you to be looking at it and getting obsessed with the content. And so if you're instantly sharing a video that you see of Donald Mm. Trump saying, declaring war or something, without checking whether that's, you know, it's gone viral Mm. before you've even realized that it's real. But emotion plays into your decision, right? Yeah. We're humans, we're emotional, it's what we do. Mm. Everything's driven by emotion in some aspect. So like, if you hate Donald Trump, you're gonna be more likely to go, share, because I hate that guy. If you like Donald Trump, you're more likely to go, He wouldn't say that's rubbish. Yeah. No, move on. If you're neutral and you haven't got an opinion because you don't really care, like me, I don't particularly care, you're gonna go, oh, Am I interested in this moment? Okay, a little bit. All right, I'm going to go verify this. Yeah. Like, because I'm interested for a minute. But, you know, it, it depends on the person. It depends on their perception. It depends on what they want. Earlier, we just had a little tiny coffee break and you were chatting to my mum mm. about the child safety stuff. I love your mum. And you covered, so I do too. You covered some interesting topics there while mm. I was making coffee. So, you know, like we said earlier on about how foul came in 100 years, five years, you know, how crazy that is and and what we've got at our fingertips now. The education hasn't caught up in terms of its approach, like, because technology has fundamentally changed our society and changed our culture. Um, And and that's just, you know, kind of mind-boggling, but it's changed our perception of the world and how we operate and how we communicate. But the language around online safety is still really boring. It's like chicken without any seasoning. It's just plain. Um... So, uh, you know, for, for us, like, we're really keen on evolving it and changing mm. it all the time. So it, it keeps pace. It needs to be 
trendy learning in a way to get that person's attention for a split second because we live in an attention economy now um and and one thing that covered covered in you know our our educational stuff but a piece that's really important when it comes to the fast-paced world and stuff is attention spans so like the more short-form content you digest um the shorter your attention span becomes the weaker your brain becomes at um absorbing and remembering long-term and short-term memory so they did an experiment with some kids and they put them in a room with about three minutes worth of reels and they were like haha happy dopamine hit dopamine hit um attention on it great love the content put them into a room with something that their interests were perfectly aligned with the content same as the reels um but it was a three minute long straight video my god the brain lit up it was so stressed because it's having to work over time to keep pace because they're having to remember a plot line in the story all the bits carry on throughout that three minutes straight whereas the other one was seven to 15 seconds story 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 Mm -hmm. so the brain was having to work extra because the muscle isn't used enough in terms of keeping pace and remembering stuff so it it's interesting how that works but with that we need to we need to be trendy in our educational content because we we can't we're advising and trying to help people shape their brains so they don't get to that point because you can reverse it you can fix it um but to access those people we have to be on their level in terms of the brain health to get them to that point so Training needs to be more um, interesting. I totally agree. And I think cybersecurity is the same with that. One of the issues with cybersecurity is the language. And that probably is going to be similar with AI, although I do think it's seen as a more exciting topic than cybersecurity. But we also need to consider the kind of ethics of AI. And just to finish up, what, what are your thoughts on that? There's two ways of looking at AI. You're either building an individual, a child, like right now it's like it's like a child like you know you, you you're teaching it you're training it and you know you, you're giving it a vision for the world and what it is and, and you know what it could be and all this kind of stuff um and it's it's a beautiful thing because we're building something that's literally on par with us mm. as you're raising a kid except for that kid doesn't you know scream and cry when it doesn't get you know something it wants um but it's also not adorable either or you can look at it in the way of like you know we're, we're building something that's godlike like if it's if it's this one singular system or entity that hooks into everything and it's going to make life super super bloody convenient and, and like easy um fantastic but it needs to be uh, you know some people turn their noses up at it some people are really really driven by it but you know EDI equality diversity inclusion it needs to be a centerpiece if you, you know, when, let's look at the imperial past of Europe, like, you know, countries go to a foreign country and say Africa, India or South America or something like that, they take their values there, this is right and wrong, that's it. And, and then the, the, the native people would learn that and that becomes part of their culture and they assimilate that um, and then they, they live that life. And then their, you know, descendants still go the same way. With AI now, we have a really, really great opportunity to build something that takes in people's different perspectives from around the world like in terms of you know if you you know disagree or agree personally or you like on values of other people but it's not your place to direct those people on how they live their life because it's no one's no one's place so yeah so if we take the example of you know a very traditional catholic family and then a very liberal you know agnostic or atheist family um, their values and traditions and, and what they perceive as right and wrong will be very contrasting to mm. each other. Some aspects will be quite similar, um, but 
overall very different lifestyles. So we need, if we're going to have an AI solution that serves both audiences, it needs to be adaptable to both. It needs to be able to encompass both perspectives and value them both the same without harming themselves or getting them to harm each other. But I think that's the difficulty of the world that we live in at the moment. We live in such a polarised society where people can't see each other's perspective. We've got the extreme left, Mm. the extreme right. And I do think social media platforms are massively Mm. making that the case. And you're right, with AI, people are going to be kicking off and saying, you know, my child's being fed really conservative propaganda. And someone else is going to say this kind of LGBT friendly vegan is too much and so like you've got people as you say with completely different perspectives on what they're happy with their children's being fed and I just I don't think we're at a place where people can just accept other people's lifestyles right now I wonder whether we're going to get to a kind of explosion point because it's so polarized right now and Mm. then we're going to settle back down again because it does feel so like kettle's boiling right yeah um one shoe size doesn't fit all no it's gonna be a it's a it's a it's a lovely but pipe dream to have one AI that that fits all right. that you know kind of encompasses. It's possible if you have the right people behind it and enough money to do it. Great, but and, and you know these the, these data scientists that sit in these rooms that go through the research that train these models, I would say hands down probably ninety nine percent of them are in it for the right reasons. They genuinely think this is going to change the world and make the world a better place, and I bloody well hope it does i think it will i think Um, it already has i think ai is something that's got pros and cons but from your perspective yes however you go to so there's a study came out um uh, on ChatGPT, the first official study on its perspective in terms of political leanings and it it was a uk-based study and they found that it it leaned slightly left Okay. So it would rec- it like it would be in favor of Labour, be in favor of um, Joe Biden as president, and all that kind of stuff. So from a conservative value side, if you're a conservative person, you turn around and go, well, that's that's harmful to society because it doesn't include my views equally to yours. Mm. Like so, you you you'd see it as harmful. So it's not good in that sense. You know that's that's deemed as harmful to that that person. Now if they've got kids and that child's using that platform like GPT. And they've read the news that oh that's that's not not good of me, um not good for my child. Um then, from their angle, it's harming their values and right. their child. Okay. And that's that's a problem mm. because it it's again one shoe size is not going to fit all. So with um any parents that are listening to this or people who are concerned about what children are looking at online, what one piece of advice would you give them, other than download digital worth? Get learning keep looking at different perspectives like whether you disagree with it or not you've got to kind of remove like these days especially you have to remove the emotional bias that we all intrinsically have Mm. and look at something from multiple angles Mm. like you know it's it's difficult because we're constantly fed stuff real quick and like you said convenience and also the news is quite scary and quite negative so if i was a parent what sources would i be looking at to be learning it depends on your value structure it depends on what you want to know okay so just look at a broad range of yeah because i'm not right but i'm from my perspective i'm also not wrong so you know from from a a mum's perspective like my mum she'll sit down in the evening with a dog and a partner and she'll put on bbc southwest and she gets the news from there i personally am like well it's not my cup of tea i'd rather go on um gpt and use really wow is that where you get your news well i leverage it but then i'll use social media 
like, sorry, not social media, like search engines to go and browse and find out things. Like if I want to know what's going on in China, I'll go to Google, I'll click on the news tab and I type in China. And then I'll go through 10 pages worth of different stories from multiple sources like Al Jazeera, BBC, Sky News, NBC. And you get the full picture because they're all in some manner biased in their own way because they all have a perspective on something. Mm. So I get the full picture. It doesn't affect me personally because, you know, someone's going to drop a bomb. It's kind of going to happen. But Mm. I'm interested. So to wrap up, Mm -hmm. I always ask my guests to recommend something to our listeners. So it doesn't have to be cyber related. It can be something that you've been to see, something that you're reading, watching, listening to. I mean, I'm I'm a big nature lover, but a book I'd recommend is The Brain by David Eagleman. Okay. Really interesting read. Mm. I couldn't put it down. Mm. Um, It explores a lot about the mindset and perspective and how far you can go to make someone numb to what you consider to be absolutely abhorrent. It's very interesting. Oh, Mm. interesting. It's very interesting. Mm. Well, my recommendation this month is um, an artist called Sahila Sokunvari, who I saw at the Literature Festival. She's an Iranian artist who was formerly a scientist and she always wanted to be an artist. And I went to the most amazing talk by her where she talked about women's history in Iran and about kind of compulsory veiling and then compulsory Western outfits and now back to compulsory veiling with the kind of political landscape that's happening right now with women cutting their hair off and things and the awful things that are happening there but it was hugely educational I felt like I didn't know so much about the history of Iran and women and she presents this through her artwork so really gorgeous images of celebrities uh, from Iran and it was just such an amazing story and I, I want to promote her. So anyone who's interested in that, I would really recommend checking her out. She's a very interesting person. But thank you so much for thank joining you. me today, Adam. Cheers for having me. You're very welcome. And um, thanks for listening, guys. So yeah, do remember to subscribe. We've got some amazing guests coming up. And thank you for listening. Bye.